0: Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 34th chapter of Ezekiel, found on page 756 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. Another reason I'm thankful for Jen Stockbridge is she prints it out in large print before reading this. So this is Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16, and verses 20 through 24. For thus says the Lord God, I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses, and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountains, mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel." I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Therefore, says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until they scattered far and wide. I will save my flock and they shall no longer be ravaged and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them. And be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word.
1: Continuing in the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, we're starting today in verse 31. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Jesus said when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And I'll put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left and the king will say to those at his right hand come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you, a stranger, and welcomed you? or naked and gave you clothing and when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you and the king will answer them truly I tell you just as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine you did it to me then he will say to those on his left hand you who are cursed depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil's and his angels I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison and you did not visit me then also they will answer Lord when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not take care of you he said to them truly I tell you Just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. We need grace, O Lord. Grace because... Sometimes, we're not aware of what's being judged. Give us ears to hear, so we may be faithful in Christ. Amen. Well, another year is wrapping up, and we're standing on the brink of another Advent season. Fittingly, we arrive in our Gospel lesson today with the very last parable that Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Matthew. There are no more parables after this in Matthew. It moves right into the story of the Passion. And for the past few weeks, we've encountered these stories about how things may appear in the end. What's it going to be like when it all comes to a close? Be prepared with oil in your lamps, we were told. Don't be foolish. The master is gone and the groom is going to return and you better be ready to let your light shine. We are told, don't take your talents and hide them in a begrudging attitude. God has given you things to share. Share them and they will multiply if you give them the spirit of the master who has given them. They're surprised in the end in each case because a transformation has happened and the way in which God judges is articulated and now we get this last parable and it's about the, the great king of eternity sorting the sheep from the goats and the one thing that the sheep and the goats have in common is this everybody's surprised everybody is surprised they're surprised because they had absolutely no idea what was on the final exam A little bit like me when I take foreign languages, I have no clue. There's a famous social psychology experiment that was published by John Darley and C. Daniel Baston in 1973. Baston was working on a double doctorate. He was getting his Ph.D. in psychology from Princeton University and he was getting his Ph.D. in theology from Princeton Theological Seminary, clearly an underperformer. With the help of his uh, psychology dissertation advisor, John Darby, uh, Darley, I'm sorry, he designed an experiment to study how people respond to those who are obviously in need. It was Baston's contention that people could be motivated out of an authentic sense of altruism, as opposed to the psychological egotism theory that was popular at the time, that you may look like you're helping somebody else but you're actually doing it for very selfish reasons and the people are compassionate out of a sense of self-gratification not out of a sense of genuinely caring for somebody else well really believed that there was such a thing as altruism that there was such a thing as genuine empathy that looked out for the welfare of the people around them so the psychological egoism he wanted to set aside so he designed this study, being in both Graduate School of Psychology and seminary, uh, Baston had access to students who were taking courses in preaching. Okay. He recruited several of the preaching students and told them that they were going to be evaluated after they had preached a sermon about the Good Samaritan. So they all began to prepare a sermon about the Good Samaritan and they were each given an appointed time to arrive at a lecture hall to deliver that sermon to a room full of judges who would evaluate their preaching prowess. Except this is a social psychology experiment, and so there was a twist, because social psychologists are all liars. As each preacher arrived, they were told that the location of the judging had been moved a studio on the other side of campus and that they needed to get to that other location in order to deliver their sermon. Then the students were then divided into three groups, okay? One group of students was told, wow, you are late, clearly you did not get the memo, they're waiting for you, you better hurry. They The second group was told, yeah, you've got, you've got enough time, don't worry, you should get there. They're not really anxious. You can start when you arrive. And the third group was told, you know what, they changed the time of the sermons because they knew it would be a hassle-crossing campus. So go ahead, take your time. You've got plenty of time. You've got a good 40 minutes before you need to be there. And the students all trekked across Princeton University campus in order to deliver their sermon. On the way, every student encountered a gentleman who was disguised as someone homeless. Hadn't bathed for a while, didn't shave, he was disheveled, and it looked like he'd probably been roughed up. He had a little cut on his face, and and he was obviously in some distress. And as the students, on their way to deliver the sermon about the Good Samaritan, encountered this man on the alley, I'll bet you can't wait to find out what happened. Prior to the day of preaching, all of the students were given a set of exams, of, of, of surveys that would help them discern their theological disposition, their political attitudes towards the poor, their sense of God's expectation of them when they encountered someone like the Good Samaritan in the sermon they, was, they were writing. It turned out that the people who stopped to help the man were directly related to how rushed they thought they were. When they thought they had plenty of time, the third group, 63% of those seminary students stopped and at least asked the guy if he needed some help, some of whom even stayed with him until help arrived. Among those who were running late... Less than 10% stopped. In a few cases, he was lying on the ground and they actually vaulted over him so they could get their sermon for the Good Samaritan. In the middle, as you might guess, in the middle, about 48% paused and spent time with the man and asked him if he needed help. That the number one predictor of whether or not you were going to do good in the world had to do with whether or not you thought you had the time to do it. Their political affiliation? Irrelevant. Their theological? Irrelevant. It boiled down to whether or not they perceived themselves to be in a rush. It tells us a lot about those who are inclined to compassion the number one predictor is whether or not you think you have the time to be compassionate. When the Son of Man comes to judge the nations, they are not quizzed about their theology. They're also not quizzed regarding their politics. They're judged based on whether they actually did anything when they encountered the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, or imprisoned. The sheep saw something that the goats did not. The goats were running late for their preaching class. It's a dichotomy we face when we think it's all about our thinking. And that somehow I can preach your brain into being more compassionate. The sheep and the goats aren't given a theology exam. They're judged based on whether or not they actually touched other human beings who God said are my brothers and my sisters. It's that awkwardness we feel when someone with whom we deeply disagree turns out to be a nice person. Dang it! What do you do with that? When I was taking uh, my New Testament Greek class, my Koine Greek class, my professor, David Wilmot, frequently hosted late-night study sessions uh, before a major exam in Greek. He was one of my favorite professors because he not only provided this extra tutorial the night before the exam but it would always be held at Jimmy's Woodlawn Tap and he'd pick up the tab. What a great instructor. One evening, after we'd had a long presentation on the aorist tense in Greek grammar, some of my classmates were talking about their field placements, and one of them made comment about uh, someone he knew who was working at Pacific Garden Mission. And he thought it was absolutely awful that if you went to Pacific Garden Mission, you had to listen to an evangelistic sermon before they would let you back into the soup kitchen or into the dormitory where you could have a bed for the night. And how ridiculous was that, that you had to be preached at before you could be served? Dave Wellmont, my professor, stood there for a moment and then said, you know, um, you may not agree with their theology or even their strategy, but you do need to know this. If you drop down in the street, dead drunk, within three blocks of the Pacific Garden Mission, It is the only place in the city of Chicago where you will wake up on clean sheets. Why does their theology make so much difference to you when it seems to me what they're doing is actually the Gospel? We can spend a lot of time arguing over the most productive mindset that may generate the greatest and most compassionate living. But as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if I give away all of my possessions and hand over my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It is as if Paul read the Darley Batson preaching study, because Paul's very next words are love is patient. We argue over stuff as if it makes a difference. As if one group is more passionate than another group based on their ideological or theoretical arguments. Or as Ezekiel wrote, because you have pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns and scattered them far and wide, I will save my flock. They shall no longer be ravaged. It's looking across the aisle. And suggesting that someone on the other side may actually hold the capacity to do some real good in the world. we got to be prepared because that kind of thinking is extremely dangerous. To suggest that our true allies in the Kingdom of God are not those with whom we agree ideologically. That our true partners in serving the kingdom aren't those who agree with us theologically but the ones who are our kin are the ones who are actually showing up with the food and carrying the water and bringing the clothing and the comfort and the companionship fellow sheep aren't those who happen to be in our shared pin they're the ones who give a damn it's much easier to conclude that those with whom we disagree they're, they're selfish obviously they're uninformed jerks just listen to them talk and be filled with with complete contempt at their foolishness and be filled with nothing but pride for our wonderfulness don't we sound a lot more compassionate than they do because at the end of the day compassion is about how you sound right But both theology and politics create this dangerous illusion that we are in the process of reasoning our way to salvation. But in the end, remember both the sheep and the goats were surprised. I again realize it might be extremely controversial to suggest that neither your theology or your politics at the end of the day actually matter But both disciplines have the unfortunate side effect of actually distracting us from what may very well be our final evaluation. When Jesus concludes this final parable, the last parable that he gives in the Gospel of Matthew, he lets his disciples know exactly how dangerous what he just said is. First verse, chapter 26, you turn the page and there it is. And Jesus says, the Passover is in two days. They are going to crucify me. Amen. Let's stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth